Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another special edition of the 14th Fire American Soccer Show as we talk about this 1-0 victory for the United States over El Salvador in the CONCACAF Nations League. Joining me from World Soccer Talk is Robert Hay as we give you the uh, breakdown of this matchup. And Robert, um, obviously El Salvador a better opponent than Grenada. You expected the U.S. to destroy Grenada, and they did so seven goals to one. But in this one, a much difficult opponent, a better opponent, but still, though, got the job done, edged out El Salvador by a goal to nil. Thanks for having me on, Daniel, to start with. Uh, Good to chat with you again. And, yeah, I mean – I think we all were expecting a uh, better match tonight with a better opponent. We got it, of course. Um, you know, overall, the United States uh, set themselves up for a uh, lower stakes match. Uh, any result would have meant that they advanced, and so that gives them a little bit of wiggle room in this match. And uh, as was pointed out multiple times on the broadcast, um, the U.S. has been particularly successful against El Salvador uh, on U.S. soil. So this set up for a really nice match for the United States. And at the end of the, the night, um, what we saw from the U.S. was a pretty good match. Um, obviously got the, not only, you know, what they needed to advance, but got the win, uh, 1-0, and uh, showed some good things, uh, got some players on the pitch that they needed to get on the pitch, and um, yeah, hopefully got away without any major injuries. I know there's well, I'm sure we'll get into it, maybe one or two players that I uh, might have to worry about walking, you know, after the match. But overall, I don't think you'd say it's anything but a good result for the U.S. and um, uh, exactly what they needed to do. Absolutely, exactly what they needed to do, and they did so tonight. Um, I want to go to El Salvador for a moment here because look, let's be honest with ourselves here. I, I think we all know the U.S. is a stronger opponent Uh then El Salvador, and of course, the U.S. is going to move on uh, into the semifinals of the CONCACAF Nations League this upcoming June. But if we're honest with ourselves here, El Salvador, to me, played a much better match. They, they seemed to, I would say, tactically be better than the U.S. under Hugo Perez. Obviously, a former U.S. men's national team player, was on that 1994 World Cup. Some felt, including myself, that maybe he should have been given a fair shot at the head coaching position for the U.S. men's national team. Well known in so many youth soccer circles, uh, especially uh, over in California, where he has done so many wonderful things with the youth in that area. Um I mean, there's nothing much more you can say. I mean, regardless of what the El Salvadorian Football Federation will do, probably towards sacking him, I don't know, because the results are not going their way. But in my mind, I've I've felt that, you know, 
Hugo Perez could be a, a head coach of the future if El Salvador does say you're done for the night. Yeah, I, I think he, you know, going into this match, I agree with you. He's someone that I feel like the United States should have given a look at for um, certainly the the senior team's head coach position. I mean, listen, you're, you're right. This this team, this El Salvador team, is not a uh, – if you look at the roster, it's not going to intimidate you looking at it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a better quality than Granada, but it's still not, you know, at the, the level of – a top-tier CONCACAF nation at this point um, with the talent that's going, currently going through the senior squad. But why this was a good matchup for the United States is exactly what you highlighted. It's a, uh, a side that is very well coached, uh, and we saw in the first 45 minutes what the result of that was. You saw an El Salvador side that was very disciplined, that defended well, um, stuck to their game plan, and came out with a game plan that uh, for the first 45 minutes held the United States uh, excellently. Now, again, when a draw, you know, advances your next round, you, it's not a total win, but, you know, at least El Salvador put themselves in position to, you know, grab a late winner uh, if they would have been able to continue what they had done in the first half to the second half. Uh, and I think that a lot of that, again, goes down to having a manager that knows the United States system uh, and knows how to game plan uh, in a match like this. So, um, I, you know, I think what we – Going into the match, I did expect El Salvador to um, put up a good effort. Uh, and again, in the first half, we saw that definitely. Second half, it, they just looked a little bit um, either tired or lost or, or whatever. And, you know, there's a number of reasons for that I'm sure that we'll get into. But, you know, long term, if if the Federation doesn't think that uh, Perez is getting the results and they sack him, I mean, he should have no lack of suitors coming to him uh, as a head coach, whether it's a club or country. Um you know, at this point, we don't know what's going on in the U.S. search, um, or at least those who know aren't saying or so forth. Um, but I think you would be crazy not to at some point look at him as a potential coach. Um, I know he wouldn't be the, the for the casual fan, the most attractive uh, person. But I think I think he's the kind of person you at least have to interview if he's available. I mean, even if he's not available, maybe ask him if he wants to be available. So, um, But, you know, at the end of the day, for this match um, – you know, I think he did what he could with this squad, and um, for a time, they looked like they may have had a chance, but it just, as the clock wound down, so did their chances. So, But I don't think you can put too much of that on the manager. I think he put them in a position to do what they needed to do tonight. No, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, we've always, well, I mean, I've complained about Greg Verhalter's tactics and uh you know, what he's been trying to do and uh, get this USA team to be uh, clinical in the attacking areas and stuff like that. But um, what do you think about Anthony Hudson so far? I mean, I know he's on an interim, he's there on an interim uh, basis at the moment, but uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not uh, displeased with what I've seen so far, especially in this matchup against El Salvador. I wasn't displeased with matchups in the two friendlies in January against Colombia or Serbia. I mean, do you think he has an opportunity to maybe have this job full time? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know what they're thinking of in US men's uh, national or US soccer headquarters. It's it's uh, a mystery to me at times. Um, you know, it, being an interim manager in a situation like this is, you know, an, a near impossible job. Um 
looking at it, I mean, you, you've got to think that he would be an outside shot of, of getting the permanent job. But that said, you know, he's done what he needs to do. Um, you know, he's, um, uh, you know, the key players for the U.S. have played well. He's rotated players in. He's capped some players. Um, we've seen uh, some of the guys, um, you know, look better than they did the year before. Um, again, in this match today, um, you're going up against a very savvy coach, and the U.S. gets a 1-0 win. You know, you can give him credit for making the substitution for Ricardo Pepe, who comes on and scores the winning goal. And um, I think that's sometimes lazy analysis, but, you know, you've got to give him a little bit of credit for making that substitution. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I've said this a number of places. I think whoever U.S. soccer is going to hire um, – their goal should be for the next three to four years, you know, which should be winning the World Cup, and that should be their stated goal. Um, is Anthony Hudson the person that's going to do that? I seriously doubt that. But I think he's shown with the time that he's gotten with the U.S. team that he is, I mean, he can be a very valuable member of this federation. Um, maybe it's a youth side coach or a coach somewhere else. Absolutely, you know, he, he's shown that he can do what he needed to do with this side. And I think that should earn him some accolades in the soccer coaching community. But um, if U.S. soccer is serious about a goal of, of competing to win the World Cup, men's World Cup in 2026, which should be their goal, as I've said, um, I don't think you look to him at this point because he is too much of an un... But for what... I, I can't see confidently what he would do with the U.S. team over the next three years. And I think you need to have some sort of confidence and clarity on that. And I agree with you there. Um, to me, Anthony Hudson is a very big unknown in the national team department in head coaching, uh, probably a huge question mark. And it's not just winning the World Cup in 2026. It's also about, you know, the upcoming Gold Cup uh, this June, next June, July, it's going to be the Copa America, and then another Gold Cup in the following uh, June uh, in 2025. So we'll see what happens. Apparently, Matt Turner just kicked a uh, soccer ball for uh, one of those mini balls for a gender reveal. The powder <laughs> looked kind of white, pinkish to me, so I'm assuming it's another <laughs> girl. For Matt Turner. So, you know, it wasn't blue, so it's got to be a girl. Well, well, you know, um, the, the team that's currently in second in the, uh, the Women's Premier League in England, um, he may be able to, to hook that, that daughter of his up with a trial one day. Um, they've got, he's, he plays for a pretty good club that has a good men's and women's side. So I think he's, his family's in a good place right now for his kid's future soccer yep. career. Absolutely. And then uh, Matt Turner's wife just handed off uh, the baby. Actually, it looks like, I'm sorry, he has a son. I didn't know. I thought he had a, a girl, but it's, uh, it's a son he has now that is with his dad. And it looks like it's going to be a girl now to join <laughs> with the older brother uh, somewhere down the line. So, uh, but you've been how happy have you been with Matt Turner? I don't know if he's gotten a lot of matches in uh, with Arsenal, but when he was mm -hmm. playing well for Arsenal, uh, for Europa mm -hmm. League, 
I mean, mm-hmm. you had to be happy with, with his play. Yeah, I mean, I think he's really, and we talked about this, you know, during the World Cup. Um, I mean, he's really matured and grown into the roles that he's being asked to play right now. And and one of the things I liked about him was his path that he's taken to where he is. Um, you know, diverse experiences come up through the ranks in the U.S. Um, you know, where Arsenal is right now, um, he's the number two behind someone who is should be considered a you know, a potential England number one or in the England mix, um, you know, so he's got a great competition there and he's playing for a club that's got a lot of great young talent and is obviously, um, you know, has a real shot at winning the Premier League. Um, I think his play for club is going to suffer a little bit with them going out of the Europa League and they're now totally focused on uh, the Premier League. Um, so his his overall match time is going to decrease. Um but that being said, I mean, there's a lot you can get from training, and obviously he's the number one in the U.S. setup. So I'm not too worried about his playing time in the in the near future. Um, you know, long term, um, I think he's doing what he needs to do. Um, he's competing. I think he's certainly competing maybe for the Arsenal spot uh, one day soon or at least a move somewhere else. Um, and so I think that he's progressing to, you know, he's progressing as such that he's going to be a real asset to the U.S. Uh, in years to come. Um, we need to make sure that he stays, you know, healthy and focused like any player does. But I think right now he's what the U.S. needs. And I think they're if they don't have confidence in him, uh, certainly he's helping them grow in confidence, um, you know, the defenders in front of him uh, over the past uh, year or so. So I think he is proven to be definitely the number one in the U.S. Uh, set up uh, by far, and I think that's great for the U.S. because that was a big question mark a year and a half ago. Absolutely, and I'll be honest with you right now, Robert, I'm saying it, uh, I know you're going to say it, Matt Turner is the number one goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team. I don't care how many times they're going to bring over Zach Steffen and even (laughs) uh, Ethan Horvath uh, to the roster. The truth is this is Matt Turner's job to keep. Unless mm-hmm. Stefan improves himself in the goalkeeper department in the Premier League, I don't know if he'll go back to Man City. I don't know if Man City's going to bring him back. I don't know if they're going to use him because I don't think they're going to. I, I, unless another English club, if it's not the Premier League, anywhere in, in the uh, top four leagues in England are still strong enough for him to compete in. But what, as, as I've said, honestly, uh, this is Matt Turner's job to keep. And until uh, he's injured or he loses it because of poor play, there's no way um, anyone is going to unseat him for that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think for Zach Steffen, you know, obviously it's it's finding a, his groove somewhere. I mean, I think if he needs to move, I mean, I, I don't know if a top Premier League side is, is in the cards at this exact moment. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with going and playing either you know, in a lower league in England or even um, somewhere else in Europe. I think, as we've said, for any of the players in the U.S. set up, consistent playing time uh, at a high level is important. And if you look at the players who are on the pitch today, I mean, you're looking at a number of players, for example, who are playing um, in the Dutch leagues, and, and really the the talent that grows out of that is essential to these U.S. players to play in those leagues to grow and develop themselves and, and their own careers. Um you have, you know, players in the German setup or who are being loaned from German sides. I mean, the, it is the, the, 
there is such an abundance of opportunities, which sounds, you know, crazy, but for players like Zach Steffen, who has proven himself uh, somewhat at a high level, to go out and find a place where he fits. And I think that's the big thing is finding a place where he's comfortable, where he can continue to develop as a player, because fortunately for him, as a goalkeeper, he's got a longer uh, playing career, generally speaking, than a, a field player. Um, but I think he's got time to go out, really kind of uh, establish himself again, and then come back and challenge uh, for the U.S. Once he's consistent in his club career, come back and challenge for the U.S. Uh, you know, number one spot. So there's time for him, and there's plenty of opportunities. I think, I think he's proven that he's got enough talent that he's going to get more opportunities. So uh, what he does with that and the choices he makes are going to be pretty important. Very true. And we'll see what happens down the line. Uh, we'll see what – I don't know if he'll be available for the uh, international friendly next month against Mexico in uh, Glendale, Arizona, but we'll see what happens and who gets called in, probably mostly an MLS uh, roster mm-hmm. for the U.S. men's national team. But other than that, uh, this Nations League, obviously, more important for those teams in the Caribbean and in Central America that don't regularly play – match in, match out internationally. They don't get a lot of uh, requests from these top nations to come play against uh, these big-time national teams. Obviously, Curacao is right now playing against Argentina so uh, in these international friendly games, probably for tomorrow. So we'll see what happens with them. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's a big honor to face against Messi. But <laughs> once again, this Nations League has... I think this Nations League has shown that additional competition is strong for this confederation uh, until we get to the World Cup qualification dance. And uh, when we get to that, then it's really going to ramp up really, really big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good – it's proven to be a good um, a tournament on a number of fronts. I mean, for from a U.S. perspective, um, obviously you're losing out by not being able to, to go play you know, con- other countries, other nations, and other federations. You have to stay home and – um, you know, play some um, matches that may not be as attractive to television viewers or the casual fan. But, I mean, number one, it is competitive tournament, um, and it is an opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, get used to and uh, prepare for a competitive tournament. Again, for 2026, if you're looking at just that World Cup, I mean, there is no qualifying. You're automatically qualified. So things like the Nations League are your opportunity to play in competitive tournaments and try and win something uh, prior to the the big opportunity. So it, you know, it is competitive soccer. Um, you know, it's getting the, these, some of these players who are, or recent call-ups or don't have as much experience, experience in traveling, um, and playing in, in hostile environments or tough environments. Although again, a lot of these matches are playing in the U S especially in the semis, but, um, it does get you travel experience. Um, as a federation as a whole, you know, I think you brought up a great point. It is an opportunity for some of these smaller nations to get, experience playing the U.S.'s and the Mexico's and the Canada's and, you know, even the El Salvador's and Honduras's when a lot of, in the past, these clubs would have been looking overseas to try and get competitive matches and, and big ticket matches. It's an opportunity for the smaller or the, the less um, soccer successful nations in the past to really grow their, grow their um, national teams, uh, get some good experience against um, larger sides. And I think make the federation as a whole, um, you know, healthier and more competitive. And I think we've seen in, in Europe, for example, where they do have a similar setup, you know, it's created a really entertaining tournament. And I think that, um, you know, this Nations League can grow into something that's interesting. Um, 
I think there's already, you know, a decent amount of a buzz around it. It hasn't cracked the mainstream soccer, uh, you know, the mainstream sports scene, but, you know, it, it is something that's kept soccer fans' attention. Um, so I think overall it's turned out to be fairly positive. Um, I think the U.S. hopefully can use it, again, to prepare for 2026 and still sprinkle in some competitive international, you know, overseas matches. Um, but, it's you know, it's not a bad tournament. It's, it's something uh, – it's better than, you know, uh, a meaningless friendly. Absolutely. Um, Robert, you're going to have to excuse me for a minute. I'm a little verklempted right now <laughs> because these past two broadcasts for TNT for the U.S. Men's National Team in the CONCACAF Nations League during the postgame show, they have just showed on Friday in the road vict- after the road victory in Grenada, the intro broadcast montage for U.S. Open Cup games being broadcasted on Bleach Report's YouTube channel. They did it again now, a few seconds ago, and they actually have the Lamar Hunt Open Cup next to the side studio show people, Sarah Walsh, Demarcus (laughs) Beasley, uh, Brian Dunseth, Everybody over there, I cannot believe what I'm seeing with the Open Cup, with the promotion <laughs> it's getting from Turner. Yeah, I, I know I'm sidetracked here a little bit. I'm a little full clipped right now. I cannot believe this is two consecutive TNT broadcasts promoting and round matches on between April 4th through the 6th, and now showing the damn thing in front of the camera right there. I cannot believe what the hell is going on. There it is again. There it is again. Next to you know, the studio table show hosts. I was thinking today about, you know, when when you would do the, the, the whip-around shows or the wrap-around shows, and I would, you know, I came on for one of them and just, you know, flipping match to match on, you know, online and just talking about these matches and how criminal it was, how undercover that what that they were. You know, it's like there's some really exciting, you know, stuff going on here with some with some of these clubs that you know, um, it, 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 building this you know this historic tournament and it's great to see it getting you know attention finally. And um, I'll, I know we don't want to dwell too much on it, but I'll say something that might be controversial. I think probably the biggest beneficiary, the reason why it's getting so much attention, is because of the encroachment of the English game on U.S. soccer. I mean, when you have a club like a Wrexham, which has a documentary about how working class and, you know, it's a fifth division club and really where it can find its glory is in the FA Cup. And, oh, by the way, ESPN shows their FK, FA Cup matches and it's these, this, you know, small Welsh you know, side versus these big English, you know, powerhouses, you know, blah, blah, blah. And people fall in love with them. And it's great that U.S. soccer is going, well, hey, we've got that. We've got these kind of clubs that are historic and, you know, quote, unquote, small town and going up against MLS sides. Why don't we promote this a little bit better and, you know, come up with a partner that um, is going to show them and put some time and energy into it? So, yeah, I think it's we've talked about this for a while. I think it's great and it's really positive to see. And I hope that it takes off and really starts to grow. Me too, me too. Now let's get back into this Nations League postgame show like we're supposed to do. I admit, <laughs> I went I went a little hayward. I went a little uh, haphazardness right there. Excuse my verklempness, but there it is again. Um, 
I think Ricardo Pepe showed in these two Nations League games, Greg Berhalter, how dare you not take me to the World Cup this past November, December, and look what I could do. And he did it. I know Grenada's not really, like we already said, uh, one of the top sides in all of CONCACAF, but the goal he scored against El Salvador, two minutes after he subs in, great job by Weston McKinney to find that space to allow Pepe, who stayed on side, to curl around the defender and chip the keeper to put that ball in the back of the net. I mean, that was a sensational goal. And you really have to question the decision-making of Burhalter. Why did he not bring Ricardo Pepe with him to Qatar? Yeah, I mean, great, great goal. Um, really well-timed, obviously, but, you know, coming right on. And you're right, he just that, you know, coming off the defender's shoulder. But not only that, you know, getting a great pass from Weston McKinney um, and then having the the strength and the frame of mind to um, not be disrupted or fall down or anything like that from the defender grabbing his shoulder, doing the little concacaf tug, you know, the, just enough of a tug to knock somebody over but not enough to get a foul. Um, and then the chip and just keep the presence of mind, just, just a great goal. I mean, that was truly a world-class finish and, and just a great moment for him. Um, you know, I, I think the, the compliment to him is really what he's done since the World Cup, which is really focus on his game, improving himself as a player. Um, you know, his club form is excellent. Um, you know, as, as there is for many U.S. players, there's some rumors about, you know, a, a move uh, elsewhere or at least returning to the senior side, although you know, I don't know. And anyway, there, there, there's talks about moves, and I think they're well justified. Um, but I think he's done what we wanted to see from a number of players in this U.S. setup, which is, if you're not chosen for the senior side, go out and improve yourself. And he's certainly done that. And I think that's the biggest compliment is the fact that he has come out and made himself now a seem indispensable to this to this U.S. side. I mean, this is we we can't go without mentioning the the fanfare that has gone on with the U.S. courting and potential new number nine. You know, I, I won't get into it. I'm not going to go there. But it, it can't be lost on us that the U.S. The U.S. fans are spending so much time drooling over somebody who's not even officially in or capped for this federation or part of, you know, been capped yet. And Ricardo Pepe comes out and says, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to score a goal. And, and not only that, but throughout the rest of the second half, just be an absolute menace. He could have had another at least goal or two um, if, if some breaks would have gone his way. So uh, I think it's a compliment to him and what he's done since December, or I guess since he wasn't called up, to improve himself. And I think that if he can continue to grow and whoever the new manager is can use him properly and he continues to develop and develop a rapport with the other players that he's likely to play with, I mean, he's going to be pretty important in 2026 and uh, even beyond. And I think that he is going to be a great example of what a U.S. soccer player should do, which is when you reach the height, keep climbing because you never know, uh, you know, if you're not going to be called up next or anything like that. And I think sometimes with some of these players, they don't do that. So compliments impact on this team is that he did improve himself and he made himself indispensable uh, at an important time for this federation. Yeah, he really did. Um, I, I think he's made his point clear, uh, found a way to get things done properly He's scoring goals. He's doing well where he is currently. 
in Europe. I believe he's still uh, Groningen in the Dutch league. But mm-hmm. once again, I, I just think Pepe is now making it loud and clear. It's a, it, this was a mistake for you not to take me uh, to Qatar. And I think he's really proving that to everybody. And I'm glad to see that because that's what you want to see. You don't want to see players that, you know, they, they had a good opportunity, then lost it. And they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to show you why you should have brought me over. And he's proving it once again. Daryl DK, I'm not going to say his time is up. I still think he has an opportunity remaining with this national team. But I think the moment is is that this is his first call-up since being injured. And, of course, he's doing pretty good where he is right now in England. And it's just – I think he just needs more rapport with playing in England as well as more rapport with his national team teammates. I I just don't think – I just think he was defended too well to be allowed to roam free – until Pepe zoomed in, uh, you know, moved in and uh, started doing everything uh, we know he can do. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough to, you know, with this set of matches early in the season. You know, you're not, you are playing competitive matches, but it's also, um, you know, kind of a mix and match. Um, so. I agree with you. I mean, I think that especially you know, just focusing on tonight, it was very much like. Yeah, you know, he did some good things and, you know, strong and hold a play, but he was a definite um, contrast uh, with Ricardo Pepe, and I think that was a negative contrast for him. But, you know, just like with other players, I think that he has an opportunity. He's, I, he's obviously playing at the highest level uh, for club, and I think that's going to just improve, you know, keep his game fresh and improving and getting him back um, uh, to a point where I think he shouldn't be – dropped definitely i think he should still be in the mix once we know who the next u.s manager is um i think we'll know a little bit more depending on who who he is and uh, what his style is um what he can do with the player like daryl dk and and it's i think then we can kind of he should be coming back into camp and figuring out you know what his role is with his federation um or with his team so I'm with you. I think that there's still an opportunity for him to come in and prove himself because, again, just we can't make definitive things after two these two months, three months of matches now. But um, I certainly, he certainly hasn't endeared himself to the uh, to the fans um, over the past couple months. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I want to say as well is this: Miles um, Robinson. I know he didn't play in the game against Grenada. He went in there against El Salvador, and it just feels like he never got injured. He really played excellent in that game. I really thought he was relentless. He defended well. And even when he was beaten, even though that one particular play, the offside flag was going up regardless, he didn't care. He still got into his breakaway speed, caught up with the attacker and still found a way to clear the ball off of the attacker's foot. I thought that was an excellent play by Miles Robinson attacking as well. You know, not uh, when I say attacking, I say attacking Mm -hmm. the forward to get the ball off of their boot. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, agreed. I, that was one thing that I, you know, when I saw the starting lineups, I was like you know, very excited for that because, you know, again, a, a guy who's been through obviously a horrible injury and um, coming back onto the pitch and, and playing well, um, I, it was good to see him, um, you know, contribute and do well against, you know, not obviously not the best in um, competition, but still, hey, this is a big step for him and getting back on the pitch and being part of this mix. So, um, can't add much to what you said, except for the fact that everything for him should be taken as a positive today. And let's see where he goes from here. And let's hope that this, he gets plenty more playing time. Yep. That's all you can ask for really. And, uh, we'll see what happens, uh, somewhere down the road. So it's going to be exciting to see what this young USA team is going to be doing. Um, so Gio Reyna has played these two games in his return from his, shall we call it, his little wine fest, you might say, or his lack of World Cup playing time, shall we say? Um, what, what do you think? What, what did you think about his performance? And you know, I mean, obviously, we've already—it's been talked about at nauseum, of course, with his parents and Berhalter and the whole situation. But your thoughts on that as well? And uh, what did you think about Reyna? How he performed in this one? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've avoided the internet for the past six months. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I think. Jeez, um, oh, what what a mess. Um, you know, I I think he was. Um, he had moments tonight. Um, I think he had moments of of real showing real skill and talent. But I also think that you know there was moments where I, I think I was looking for more for him. Um, you know, he's he's what 20 years old. Um, he's he's still. A young soccer player. I mean, we can't – I think he is what he is. He's incredibly talented. He's going to um, do some amazing things. He obviously does that for club. He's going to do amazing things for country um, the, the more he plays. Um, but I don't think we should expect brilliance every time out. I think tonight, again, hit and misses. Um, there was some stuff I liked, but I think we, we should expect to see that from him. And the more, you know, he plays, I mean, he's got talented players around him, just like he does at, at Dortmund. And um, I want to see him play. I want to see him get lots of playing time. I don't want the fans and the Federation to think of him as some sort of savior. Obviously the Federation doesn't at this point, but you know, the fans to think of him as some sort of savior or, you know, um, you know, he is. He's a young soccer player, very talented young soccer player, and he's going to play like that. And so I want to see him continue to develop. Again, going back to the theme of de- developing for club and bringing that to country, um, he is unique from his teammates in that there has been obviously a lot of focus on him partly for his fault, a lot of it not due to his fault seemingly, but, um, you know, he needs to learn as a professional that you need to shut out the world around you and play your game. And I think that's what I want to see from him next is to continue to play well with the U.S. Federation and basically make everybody forget about all the distractions, at least from his side. You know, just forget about the distractions. Um. I think he's going to continue to – I mean, he has the right soccer pedigree. I think he has the potential to be the greatest player on this team in terms of physical makeup and access to coaches and 
advisors that could mold him into being a great player, but he needs to really develop his game and develop his maturity in order to be that meet that potential that he could. Um, and so I think that's going to be key for the U.S. is what does he do? Because a Giorena who stalls out or who isn't a contributor, that's a U.S. team that's lacking uh, because he does bring so much. And what we saw tonight is what we're going to see more of in the years to come, which is, you know, some good, some bad, but that's normal. And um, I think we want to see more of um, more of the good and less of the bad over time. And I'm confident that we're going to see that. And we'll tonight is just one of those stepping stones is, is how I look at it. So as we are um, wrapping up this post-game show here between the United States and El Salvador, the Nations League semis and final, as well as the third-place match, is going to be in Las Vegas at Allegiant Field, Allegiant Stadium, I should say, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Robert, will you be heading to Vegas for this wonderful (laughs) occasion? You know, I, I, uh, in, in a long, long, long time ago, I worked for someone, um, who was very important to the, to stay in Nevada and Nevada, Nevada. And I have always been a big believer in, uh, Las Vegas as a premier sports and entertainment destination. So while I will not be heading out there, I am glad that Las Vegas is getting, uh, opportunities to host high profile sporting events like this because I think it is a great sports town and I think it's going to do really well. For this tournament, and I'm excited to see the the matches on TV, um, <laughs> on TV, and what's going to be a, a great. I, I'm curious. I haven't looked up ticket prices. I'm, I'm I should find out how much they're charging for tickets. We may see a small crowd simply because they have a tendency to charge outrageous prices for this these type of tournaments. But my hope is that there's it's moderate and there's enough of a buying um, demand that it's, we're going to have a great atmosphere for uh, some good matches. Absolutely. I want to look at the other side of the corn here, and it's not so much looking at El Salvador. Of course, we're looking at Mexico. Mm -hmm. I have this funny feeling that Mexico is not what they once were. I mean, sure, they had to go down on the road to face off against Suriname. They did not look like they're dominating selves. They won 2-0, but it wasn't a convincing performance. And then they come back to the Azteca, and not only are they drawing at home to Jamaica 2-2, but they put the ball in the back of their own net to give Jamaica a 2-1 lead at the time before they got saved on the penalty call in favor of them. Are we seeing a downtrend with Mexico now? Yeah, I think we I think we're seeing a transition. Um we you know, I think we've seen over the past year plus that there's certainly been a generational transition. Um you know, there's been some uh, well, there's long been controversy in terms of of managerial hires and team makeups and who has real control over um you know, how this this club is or this um side is constructed. Um but I do think you're seeing uh, what's a naturally just generational churn um, or if it was an organization, organizational churn, but federation churn and and rethinking about kind of its setup. Um, 
you know, Mexico is one of the most consistent nations in soccer nations in the world, you know, consistent qualifiers, consistent um, achievers. And um, I, I don't think we can count on them being quote down for too long. Um, I think they are going to uh, take it, you know, try and, and, I don't want to say take advantage, that's the wrong term, but, but really benefit from hosting matches for the 2026 World Cup. So I would expect Mexico to go through a transition uh, in the short term, but I wouldn't discount, I wouldn't consider this to be a long term, what Mexico has become, because I think that once they figure out some of their um, youth issues and bring up some players and start cycling, cycling through their, um, uh, um, you know, their makeup, um, I think you're going to start seeing Mexico being what what it, what it is um, consistently, which is one of the top, if not the top, uh, CONCACAF nations. So um, we can enjoy it as U.S. fans while we can, but um, they'll, they'll be back at some point in the near future. Mm-hmm. No, that's obviously, and that's going to be uh, good to hear. Obviously, uh, Nations League, most of these spots have already been filled up. We're still waiting as uh, currently in the first half, Guatemala – uh, is hosting Guadeloupe in their final uh, group stage match here in League B in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, but as of right now, we have Jamaica and Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica, Canada, Honduras, El Salvador in the U.S. from League A, Cuba, Haiti, and Nicaragua from League B. One more spot left to go to the Gold Cup to qualify directly into the tournament and um for the uh play uh for the playoffs or the uh the qualifiers to enter the final three spots into the gold cup because Qatar will be going in as a guest team. Once again, we have from League A Suriname, Martinique, Corasau, Grenada, from League B Guadeloupe, um which actually they're still playing, so we'll have to wait and see for that one. Uh once again, um Guyana and Trinidad and Tobago. And from League C, we got St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, and Puerto Rico. Ever since they created this Nations League tournament, Robert, to have the, you know, in mind to have the qual- these teams qualify directly or other teams qualifying through a playoff format, what do you think it's been so far? You think it's been uh, positive? You think it's been a negative? What do you think it has been? I'm, excuse me, I'm, I made a mistake. It's French Guyana, so Guadeloupe did advance mm-hmm. uh, to the um, qualification round of the Nations League. But what, what's mm-hmm. your opinion about it? Um, it? It's. I think it's a little confusing if you're not uh, fully versed on on all of the tournaments and all of the 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 pathways. Um, so I. I you know, my my read is if you're a casual sports fan, it might be a little bit perplexing to figure out, you know, uh, how, who's doing what and how it's getting where and throw a guitar in there and, you know, everything gets kind of complicated. But, I mean, honestly, again, it goes back to what we said earlier. I mean, it allows for different nations within CONCACAF to um, grow and uh, qualify for different tournaments and, and, and you know, um, build build themselves up as soccer nations. Um, by not just you know dumping them into a one you know into a tournament where they're going to get eliminated Canada and um, you know Canada and El Salvador and that's the end and they have to go back to figuring out you know how they're going to pull together a competitive side you know it creates different pathways and different tournaments um, that allow a smaller nation to kind of build on upon success and 
um, create achievable goals for themselves. So um, I think for a federation perspective, it's positive um, from a keeping track of who's doing what. It can be a little bit confusing, but part of that is also the newness of it. We'll see what it looks like in five years, and if it's you know the same format, then it might make more sense to everybody. So overall, net positive, but still has some uh, growing pains to go through. Absolutely. All right, Robert. Well, listen, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Uh, as always, I appreciate your time here on the show, and uh, we'll talk more somewhere down the road. And uh, thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, and that's Robert Hay from World Soccer Talk as we wrap up this uh, post-game show here as the United States defeats El Salvador by a goal to nil. They win Group D. They will advance to the semifinals of the CONCACAF Nations League, which will be held in Las Vegas. But most importantly, both teams already have qualified automatically into the CONCACAF Gold Cup later this June. And it should be a lot of fun, exciting, and a wonderful time. So join me tomorrow night for my review show of the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup first round. And it should be exciting. It should be a lot of fun. And I cannot wait to have you listen in for this program as the Open Cup is back and we're ripped, roaring, and ready to go. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight, along with my guest Robert Hay of World Soccer Talk. We all hope you have a great evening. Enjoy yourself tonight, and please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long, and bye-bye for now.